Welcome to It's a Good Life podcast, where it's all about helping entrepreneurs think, feel, and do better. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you, and welcome to It's a Good Life. Many times when I have an interview, I say, today we have a very special guest. Well, today I'm going to change that a little bit, and I'm going to say, today we have a very special man. Pat Lancioni is a special guy. He's a brilliant author many times over, New York Times bestselling author, whether it be The Five Dysfunctions of a Team or Death by Meeting, my personal favorite, because I've lived it. But Pat is a special man, and he's become a friend. We are in the Mutual Admiration Club. He's a man of faith. He's a man with a spectacular family. He's got great insights. He's got great wisdom, an excellent communicator. And yes, I am number one cheerleader in the Patrick Lencioni fan club. It took us a lot of years to meet. We had a ton of people in common and a ton of friends in common. And then we met. It was like we were old friends the very first day we ever met. And I'm so excited to be uh, having Pat on, not only on our call today, but also Pat's going to be uh, a guest at our very first team leader conference this September. We're going to be at the Biltmore in Arizona. And uh, we'll be there the 13th and 14th. And uh, so excited to have Pat. He's going to come and do a presentation and also do some Q&A and coach up some folks who really want to learn how to be great at leading a team. So, Pat, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining me. It's, it's uh, a real treat. The folks are going to get to listen into you and I going back and forward here today. Yeah, treat is the right word. It's great to be here. This is not work. <laughs> no, sir. I still have to go home and tell my wife how tired I am from work, but this <laughs> yeah, is right. play. Yeah. <laughs> this is play. You know, before we dive in and talk about five dysfunctions of a team, give us a little background. For those, there are people who have every book you've ever written. They listen to your podcast. They have all your programs. They're involved in everything you do. And then there's people who are going, I've heard this name, Pat Lencioni. I don't really know who he is. Give us the background. Where did you start? How did you end up where you're at today? Well, that's a great question. Um, I, I grew up in Bakersfield, California, which is a little slice of Oklahoma in the middle of California. Right. You know, I don't know what California was like until I was 18 and I left. But um, my parents weren't college educated. And so I was a pretty simple guy. And I, I got a job at a, a, a very high-end management consulting firm, and I was way out of my depth. And I just started asking questions like, well, what about, why is that the way it is? Why is that the way it is? And I started to realize that there were some basic behavioral issues that were preventing our clients from using all the advice we were giving them. And I said to the partner on my case at the time was Meg Whitman, who now runs, um, you know, Hewlett Packard and, and ran for governor. Yeah. And I said, we should help them with, with this interpersonal stuff. And she said, yeah, that, they don't pay us for that. Or somebody on the team said that. And, and the, that's not what the company did. And I remember thinking, I think that's what's really important in life. And so I, I just started learning and teaching myself by experience. And then one day I started my own firm and I, I wrote a book and I was going to take it to Kinko's so we could make copies of it for, for our clients and a publisher, somebody who worked, who knew somebody who knew somebody who worked at a publisher, read it and they published it and then two two other books later was The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, and it, it's been 20 years since that book came out, and it's uh, I think it might be selling as much now as it did then because people are... How many copies has that book sold? I think that it's I think it's almost six million is what they tell me. I mean, that is just stratospheric. You know, people talk about a New York Times bestseller. They're not talking about six million copies, and that is just a stratospheric response. And it's still, not only is it selling well today. It's because those principles, and principles are what stay, are timeless. 
They're true. They're based in truth. They have tremendous wisdom around them. And it's never gone out of style. It's never gone out of style. Yeah, it's so it, it's really simple things. And and my, I think my favorite compliment is when somebody ri- reads it and they say, oh, I think I could have written that book. Yeah, right. I'm like, yeah, exactly. It's that obvious. <laughs> yeah, it is. So, well, I get that all the time. You know, when I first started in the referral business, you know, everybody was a cold caller, door knocker. It was like Glenn Geary, Glenn Ross. And when I first came out... <laughs> Coffee is for yeah, closer. Yeah, right. Coffee's for closer. ABC, always be closing. The leading trainer in real estate was uh, a guy whose phrase was, find them, fleece them, and forget them. And I came out with these system on seven biblical principles on treating people great and exceeding their expectations, building relationships, and then they'll send you referrals. And, you know, 25 years later, I remember being introduced at this conference, actually not that long ago, there's 12 and a half thousand people in the audience. And the guy goes, you know, I know Brian is this, you know, legend in this industry, but, you know, he teaches really basic stuff. I went, yeah, but when I came out on the circuit, they wanted to hang me in effigy for this, just like they did you. Yeah, you know, Wall Street and and the Ivy League and the academia thought that my stuff was like, was dumb. They're like, no, come on. You know, in fact, I just did a, I have a podcast and today I talked about on it, this, this saying that somebody told me two days ago, Brian, which is what we assume is what's important. When we assume that people know something, it's often the best stuff is there because we're like, well, everybody knows that you got to treat people right, right? And it's like, no, they don't. No, they don't. And so every t- we, we're like, what are people assuming that everyone knows? Let's remind them of that because that's probably what's going to be good. And like my stuff is just simple reminders. And, and, you know, Wall Street is like, oh, that's dumb. And then all these businesses across America were like, no, we need to hear this. For sure. And even now, Wall Street's starting to, to come around a Maybe, bit. maybe. But at, at the end, it, it needs to have this fancy finagling to it in order to have the charging going on that costs so much and uh, that people can, you know, write Excel spreadsheets about. At the end of the day, you know, simple is, it's hard to get to simple though, Pat. That's the thing. It is hard to get to simple. And the stuff you talk about has so many consequences, not only of productivity, but of interpersonal conflict workplace culture, and they'll spend fortunes and millions on trying to rectify these things instead of doing the basics. And so that's why the fundamentals, when they're put in place, are spectacular. And that's why they're called the fundamentals. They never go out of style. Right. We thought about if we were to start our company over again, we might call it low-hanging fruit. Everybody's like striving for that fruit at the top. It's like some of the best fruit is right here. Oh, that's too easy, too simple. Assume it's important. That's a great thought for the day. So let's kind of dive in. We'll have fun with it, and we can throw a few curves in it the way we go. You know, the five dysfunctions, I love, you know, you did it in Fable style, which is a, it's always good to teach hard things in an entertaining way, right? It's always good. Yeah. When I first got asked to write a book, somebody said, hey, you came up with a great theory. You should write that. I thought, oh, man, I have a lot of books that I never finished. How can I write one maybe people will finish? Well, I'm going to make it short. I'm going to keep them interested through a fable. And then on the, at the end, I'll describe what it's all about. And, and I didn't know. Again, I thought Kinko's would publish it, but people like it. So it works. <laughs> Six million of them. And uh, I'd be in that a few times. I, I bought the book and then I bought it again. And now I have a stack of them. That I send them out regularly because I get all these questions. People want to know my management guru insights. I just send them the book and a note. Yeah, read this. So let's start with it. We got five dysfunctions. The first is massive, and I think you and I could spend hours talking about this. You know, we have the five dysfunctions of a team, 
And I look at this and I go, this is a great way to build a great business, great team, but also great family. So the first one is an absence of trust. It is very, very hard once you have that absence of trust to have a great team. So how can we go about building a good foundation for trust with our teams? Well, so the first thing we have to do, Brian, is we have to help people understand the kind of trust we're talking about is based in vulnerability. And the, the Latin root of vulnerability is wounds, vulnerability. And that's we have to be comfortable with who we are, wounds and all. And when people can't be vulnerable, in other words, when they protect themselves and they cover things up, you don't build real trust. So it's vulnerability-based trust. And the way we do that is by practicing it. And as in all things, you start a little small. So like, here's a, here's a very, I, I like being practical. Here's the practical exercise we do that takes 15 minutes with every executive team I work with, whether they're the uh, Fortune 10 company or an entrepreneurial one or a, a church or a school or whatever else. We go around the team and we say, tell us where you grew up and how many kids were in your family and where you were in that order. And tell us what the most difficult challenge of your childhood is. Not your inner childhood, just being a kid. What was, what was interesting about the challenge? 10 minutes later, we've gone around. People just say their thing really fast. And I ask, how many of you guys knew all this? And every team I've worked with, people that have been working together for 15 years will go, I didn't know half of this. And what they realize is I could just put myself out there and it created greater empathy. You know, the prayer of St. Francis, seek to understand more than to be understood. People suddenly understand each other. And more importantly, people said, so me, me telling others about things about me is actually a good thing, not a bad one. Then we use a different tool, a simple one. We have this new one called the Six Types of Working Genius, but we used to use the Myers-Briggs, and, and there's all these tools, and we say, can you just admit to people what you're good at and what you suck at? You know, what, what's the genius gift God gave you, and what are the things he didn't give you? And if a team can sit around and go, hey, you guys, I know I'm bad at this. You guys know that. I know it. I think I'm pretty good at this. Suddenly, the trust in the room, people go to meetings and they say, I need help, or I messed this up, or I got to apologize, or you're smarter than me. I, I, I want to listen to what you have to say. And that's what builds this trust on a team. And without that, the next four dysfunctions you can't overcome. And one of the dynamics is talking about corporate America. People are terrified to reveal any type of weakness. You'll be stepped over. You'll be brought around. People will leverage against you. So it, it actually creates the natural dynamic is creates the opposite of what it takes to build trust. And it becomes distrust. I was on the golf course uh, yesterday with my brother. There was some app we had to download for some golf tournament we were about to enter. And I'm just fumbling around with this thing. And <laughs> That's me. I just handed it to him and I said, thank God I can speak. And he goes, you are deeply gifted in one area. And he goes, the truth is you can be flawed in all the others, Bri, we got your back. And I thought, you know, that's kind of true. <laughs> well, and you know, that's the key to this. And this is where it comes back to our faith and to family is we need one another. God didn't design any of us to have everything we need. And when you, and people talk about diversity, when you have a diversity of skill sets and gifts on a team and you appreciate those, it changes everything. And so that's kind of what we're saying here. But if you're not vulnerable about it and you say, no, I'm great at all of this. No, some are a thumb, some's an index finger, some's a pinky, right? It's all the different members that require to make it up. And it's okay. This is what I do well. Now, I would also say, because I've seen this go well, and I want you to speak to this, where some people will then go, uh, that's just who I am. And then you have to deal with it. So there's an abdication can happen, right? So it's like, no, this is my gift. And then these are my weaknesses. And now you know my weaknesses. I'm like absolved 
from any responsibility. And I know we're going to talk about accountability, but that's the flip side to it, right? So you want the vulnerability, but you still got to make sure you have ownership. Yeah. And that doesn't mean you're, you're, it's not an excuse. Well, I didn't make my numbers, but you know, I don't have that. It's like, no, no, no. All of us have to do things that we don't love and that we're not good at. Hopefully our job isn't designed around that. You know, so, so it's not an excuse, but it's an explanation and it helps you design things so people can help one another. I did an event here recently um, for our kind of top thousand clients, and I was using images and pieces from the movie Cool Hand Luke. And I was using them as, hey, here's how we want to be like Cool Hand Luke, and here's how we want to be not like Cool Hand Luke. And that was filmed up in Northern California up there in Stockton. Isn't that where he eats all the eggs? Yeah, right. That's he eats the 50 eggs, all the good stuff. Great, great flick. But there's a piece at the end where he's talking to God. And again, he's just escaping, and he's just this free-spirited guy who cannot accept authority. And he looks up to the steeple in the church and he goes, you made me like I am. And it was this ultimate abdication of his own responsibility. And so on one hand, we want the vulnerability, but then we have to respect what those weaknesses we have and what other people bring to the table. Because if we don't respect those, then we don't value them. And then that, I find that breaks trust as well. Exactly. And some people will say, what kind of like in the six types of working genius, what, kind, what geniuses are most important for being a leader? And we say self-awareness. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's a lot of ways to skin a cat. You could be a leader, but if you don't know what you're not good at, and you don't surround yourself with people who are better than that, and you don't make excuses for it, but you actually celebrate people who can do different things, it's not going to work. So if vulnerability can't be defensive vulnerability, it has to be buck naked, like, this is who I am. I'm doing my best. Yeah, that's good. The second dysfunction is the fear of conflict. I was thinking about this in preparing for our talk, and I was, I was scrolling through the show The Office, and ah. Michael Scott, the great prototype <laughs> leader, Mr. Dysfunction of a leader himself, and they go, would you rather be feared as a leader or loved? And he goes, both. I want them to fear how much they love me. <laughs> the One worst. of the great lines. <laughs> He's just the worst. So, we have shown that clip at a conference before because really? it's so beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> I was just watching it last night. So what can we do to allow the kind of the discussion of important ideas without the fear of conflict? How can we, how can we foster that? So because this is a pyramid or a triangle, you know, the base is trust. So if there's no trust, there is not going to be good conflict. And in fact, if you don't trust somebody... You should not have conflict because if, if there's not vulnerability-based trust, they're not going to admit when they're wrong anyway. Debating somebody who is, does not have the capacity to go, oh, wait, that's a great idea, or oh, I see what you're saying, that's, that's fruitless. All you're going to do is try to manipulate each other or win. So first of all, make sure trust is there. We say you've got to start with trust. Then what you have to do is, is have everybody understand that conflict is not only okay, it's not only good, it's required. Because, because people have to put all their ideas on the table in order to find the best possible answer. Conflict, when there is trust, is nothing but the pursuit of truth. It's the pursuit of the best answer. And nobody's holding on to anything other than that. So like if you and your wife are arguing about how to parent your children and you trust each other, you know she's not trying to tell you you're an idiot. She really thinks what she's saying is best and I want to hear it. And at some point, we're gonna, somebody's going to convince the other, and we're going to get to the best answer. But you can't be holding back. Now, 
I'm Italian and Irish, Brian. So, <laughs> Buffini, I've got. Come on, I've yeah, got to go I know. myself. You and I. How many people in the world have the Italian last name and the Irish? And the first Irish name? first name, and we got the same deal going on. Nitroglycerin in the same body. Exactly. So nobody had to teach us about this conflict thing, but. <laughs> But, you know, people in Japan get in, engage in conflict differently. People in Italy and Ireland do it differently. In L.A., they do it different than New York. The point is not kind of what it looks like on the outside. The point is this. If you're on a team and there's trust, nobody should be holding back. Everybody should be willing to put their opinions out there. Disagreement should never be seen as anything but the pursuit of truth. And there are peop some people in life, because of the way they grew up or because of their family or their personality type, that don't like to do it, and we need to help them do it more. Other people do it all the time, and we might need to tamp it down just a bit to make it easy. But the idea is not that we need to yell at each other. The idea is nobody ever holds back when they have an idea or an opinion, because then we're not going to benefit from that. And we got to do it with respect, right? Because the, at the end of the day, we want to go through the conflict, but we don't want to erode trust. We actually want to build trust. And if it's done right, there's more trust at the end of it than there was before. I'll go even one step further, Brian. No two people, no team is ever going to always do it right. I mean, a good team will occasionally step over the boundaries and then they'll heal. Then, then that person will go, I'm sorry, I was really, I'm, I, that was my bad. And they'll forgive each other and they will become a stronger team by going through that. Because, you know, God made us so that scar tissue heals stronger than tissue that's never been broken. Isn't that amazing? And a team that has stepped over the line and kind of hurt one another in a, in a small way and then recovered from it is, is so much stronger than a team that's never even come close to the line. That doesn't mean you do it all the time. Well, they'll forgive me, so I'm just going to tell them what an idiot they are. Yeah, right. It just means... I'm going to get this off my chest. Okay, congratulations. Everyone else is dead. You know, sometimes you look at a team like in the NBA or the NFL and they, they argue with each other. And, and, what ha and people go, oh gosh, they were doing that. It's like, no, what did they do in the locker room? Did they go in and they go, hey, I'm sorry, buddy, that was, I was an idiot. That's a great team. So Right. The Golden State Warriors are a great example of that. A few years ago, they had a huge fight. And they said it went away in the, in the locker room after the game. Sure. Yep. And they, they kept winning championships. Let me just tweak this one piece for our world today. I can't imagine when you first penned the five dysfunctions of a team, you could ever imagine a world that we would live in where everybody was sent home, that a virus would change our whole world, and that... Uh, people who were on teams would be no longer working together. We're a moderately sized company, 250 people, and we were 560 days not in the same building. And right now, we come into the building three days a week. And, you know, along with many other organizations, I got to see some things and see the data and see the patterns. And on one hand, there were some things that were improved. But on the other hand, creativity, all-time low collaboration, all-time low. And then I found any type of conflict that was not done in person was horribly wrong. And so I kind of made a little rule. Organizationally, if it's a collaboration work, they got to come in. If it's creative work, they got to come in. And if there's confrontation and conflict, it's got to be done face-to-face, -face, or we have no chance. The three Cs, that's great. What's your take on the world we're living in today, the Zoom world we live in, where this same dynamic of building a team, like I, I have 40 people working for me I've never met, which is unheard of. We have, we've been one of the top places to work in San Diego for seven consecutive years. And we have this fabulous culture. And I have a bunch of people who I will see them probably not till the Christmas party. 
And so in this modern world, how do you see the building of the trust and then managing this conflict when so much of it's done via distance? Well, um, we could do a whole podcast on this. So here's what I think. I think that I am amazed at how certain things can get done over Zoom that I didn't think so because, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. And so since we had to, I was like, wow, there are things. I do not have to get on a plane sometimes that I used to think I could, I could do it on Zoom. I also think that there's a, some merit to some flexibility, that people are, are a little bit better at going, hey, I've got a situation at home. I can find out a way to get it done. But I think that the situation we're in now, I met a 25-year-old yesterday on an airplane, and he was telling me how great it was. His company has opened up again, but he doesn't have to go in, and he doesn't, because he'd rather just... And then he proceeded to tell me, yeah, I get to work out during the day, and I get to do this. And I said, well, what time do you finish working? Oh, I try to work by five. And I'm like, but you still work out during the day, and you do all this. And he basically admitted, yeah, I know I'm not as productive, but they let me do it. I take advantage of it. And there's a whole group of people that have come into the workforce like that. Did you see what Elon Musk just did recently? Yeah. He said, and, and you know what I love? He started with his executive team. He said, if you work here, I want you in 40 hours a week. And, and if that's not cool for you, you probably shouldn't work here. Now, I'm, I'm not quite so black and white. I think that it's good to have some flexibility. But I don't think that... We're, we're as productive as we were. And it's, it's what you said. It's creativity, conflict, and collaboration. Those three words all go together, by the way. There is no creativity without conflict. Mm-hmm. That's true. And That's so true. I think the, the, now what I'm hoping for is the companies that are really not making people go back, that they have a competitive disadvantage, and the other ones that are actually bringing more people back are going to see the competitive advantage and it's going to play out in the marketplace. Well, here's what I know. There's a recession coming. I've just done a series of shows on it. And the truth of the matter is, a recession is a terrible thing to waste. Companies are having to offer all these perks, you know, that's right. Stay at home, do this, do that. As soon as things tighten up in the labor market, trust me, things will change out there in the marketplace too. We've been around it too long. We know what comes. And at the end of the day, they're going to want productivity and they want to get bang for their buck. Third dysfunction, lack of commitment. I always found this to be an interesting one to make the list. And very interesting that it was number three. But this is really that loyalty and buy-in from our teams that talk about this lack of commitment being one of the dysfunctions. Well, and what I love about this is they all connect to one another because commitment has, it requires conflict. And, and here's what it comes down to, Brian. People don't buy into a decision. If you're trying to make a decision as a team, the people on the team are not going to buy in if they didn't weigh in. Weigh in mm. is the conflict. Now, yeah. people immediately go, does that mean they all have to vote? Is this a consensus? And it's like, no, I hate consensus. Consensus to me is a four-letter word. But without weighing in, without, conf without going to the meeting and saying, well, here's my opinion. Here's what I think. At the end of that conversation, now you're in a position to actually get commitment, either because there, there is an, a real consensus, thank God for that, usually there's not, and the, the leader has to go, okay, I've heard what everybody had to say, nobody held back, I'm going to break the tie. And here's what it comes down to. When the leader breaks the tie and makes the decision, even the people that had a differing opinion are willing to commit to that, because they know they were heard. They felt heard, yeah. But people that didn't weigh in, they don't buy in. But what do they do? They nod their head and they smile. That's the mm -hmm. worst. Mm -hmm. Then they go back to their department and they go, I don't really like this idea. Mm -hmm. And then they see problems. And I like to say they alligator arm it. You know, they don't really reach out to help. They just hold back. Mm -hmm. and, and suddenly they're passively 
passively, what, what's the right word there? Cheering for the project to lose or the initiative to fail. To fail. Because it validates their belief, right? Exactly. So everybody has to put their beliefs out there and the leader has to say, now that we've had good conflict, now I can say we're going to do this and I need your support. And 99 times out of 100, if, as long as there's not moral or ethical issues, people will go, okay, that's not what I'd have done, but you listen to me. I understand why you made the decision. I'm all in. Right. Well, I'm blessed. Our producer here, David Lally, who I work with all the time, he's from Galway. And Galway's the part of Ireland that when the English pushed all the Irish people to the West, it was Connacht, to hell or to Connacht, they said. So during the famine, they wouldn't leave. They were just the most dug-in people of all time. And if he doesn't get to weigh in to something, it doesn't matter what decision I make. There is no buy-in whatsoever. And so he's a great litmus for me because I mean, he goes donkey-legged on me. And I go, well, if he's doing that, there might be 250 more of those. So Lally is this great gift to me where if he doesn't weigh in, there's no buy-in. And if there's no buy-in, there's no commitment. And I'm just, I'm walking around, you know, with my great decrees, but nobody's listening. Exactly. And that's why conflict is necessary for commitment. And trust is necessary for conflict. By the way, can we take a commercial break here for something? I saw two of the best Irish movies of my life recently. So have you ever seen Brooklyn? Yes. Oh. Love it. And it's about a girl who comes to New York from Ireland. As an immigrant from Ireland, let me tell you, that is a weep fest for any Irish immigrant. I, and it was for me, and I'm not an immigrant, but I, I, it was so wonderful. The other one was, a, there was a, there's a movie out there called Once, O-N-C-E. Have you ever seen yeah. that? Fabulous. Oh, so anyway, these are two. I'm, I've, I thought I'd seen all the great Irish movies, but those are two. So commercial break. No, that's good. Once. That's good. And while we're, we'll get there to some movies in a minute. But have you seen all Wake right. and Ned Divine? Have you seen that one? Oh, yeah. Years ago. That's one of my all-time favorites. One, my neighbor was in that movie, and that's one of my all-time favorites. Does everybody in Ireland know each other? Is that what it is? Yes, yes, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Well, Pat, you and I could go on for hours here, and probably will when the show ends, but I really want to honor our audience. I really don't want to ever be a long-form podcast, so we try to keep it to commute times. And so I'd like to split this into two episodes and we'll come back and do number four and number five. And then I also have these five rapid-fire questions I like to ask every guest that I think you'll have some fun with. Um, I'm really, really excited, and we're very honored to have you at our first-ever Team Leader Conference. Our team's conference is going to be September 13th and 14th at the Biltmore in Arizona. And I'm going to be covering how to have the right team and the right model. I'm going to be covering team lead generation for people. We're going to talk about how to put the lead back in team leader, and our, our very own CEO, Darren Buffini, is going to cover that. Amy Somerville, who's also our MC, is going to be hosting a panel of our Real Strengths team, which is our in-depth analysis of people's natural gifts and abilities. So teaching a, a leader how to know their own profile, gifts and strengths, and then build their team accordingly, how to communicate with them, how to get the best out of them. We'll also be covering the five dysfunctions of a team with you, Pat, and uh, you've kindly agreed to do a Q&A after your presentation so we can coach people up directly. Uh, we've also got a uh, couple more sessions. One I'm going to teach on is the uh, how to build a winning culture. And then we're going to do a fabulous synergy session with the best ideas in the room from the best leaders we're assembling. And then lastly, I'm going to do a coaching session with the audience to roll up our sleeves. It's a more intimate setting than our typical conference. And so I'm going to roll up my sleeves and get into people's actual businesses, actual problems, actual questions, and uh, coach you up. So we're going to have two fantastic days. Pat Lencioni is going to be there. My leadership team is going to be there in an intimate setting at the Biltmore in uh, Arizona in September. So fantastic weather, fantastic time. 
and we'll be doing that. So Pat's going to stay around, and we're going to do our second part of our episode uh, on the five dysfunctions of a team. And then to finish off here, Pat has got an Irish name and an Italian last name. I have the Irish first name and the Italian last name, and we're going to leave it off with Therese, as Irish as it gets, uh, along with Buffini, uh, the Italian name. So she's going to finish this off with a little Irish blessing. And then come and join me in a couple of days for the second part with Pat. Until next time, we'll see you then. May the road rise up to meet you. And may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time. Music